Hello and welcome to the Prospect Sermons Podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, Senior Pastor of Prospect Baptist, located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. I want to say a word of thanks to Nathan Posey for providing the intro and outro music for this podcast. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you to the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Prospect Sermons Podcast. Good morning, and thank you all for tuning in with us online on Facebook. And... Um, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn them on or turn them to uh, Jonah chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I know this is uh, maybe a little bit different for you, but certainly a little bit different for me. I, I'm, I made a joke this morning that this is kind of like preaching to my preaching class in seminary. Uh, just a few people here in the building uh, spread out. But anyway, uh, we're going to get through this. But Jonah chapter 3. Um, and I would encourage you to get your Bible out, even though you um, maybe maybe have a laptop in front of you or looking at a screen, I would encourage you to get your Bible out and follow along with us. We are in our uh, series to the book of Jonah, continuing our current series through this book. Hope you're enjoying it so far. We've talked about uh, Jonah's disobedience and his vain pursuit. And we also talked about last week that God's grace is not only those for outside the church, but those also within the church. That's good news for us as well, because we still fail and we still need Jesus and we still need God's grace It's for the pagan and the prophet. And lastly, we said that God is still pursuing us even when we disobey him. And lastly, that his grace sometimes comes through circumstances that are quite peculiar. And circumstances really don't feel like grace. We kind of begin to turn and look at a theology of suffering. And I hope that was beneficial to you. But this morning, we're going to continue in Jonah chapter 3, looking at the God of second chances. And so Jonah chapter 3, beginning reading verses 1 through 10, again, I would encourage you to follow along, and I would encourage you, if you are able, uh, to stand in, in reading of the honor of God's word this morning. But this is the book of Jonah chapter 3. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overturned. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Then the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes." And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from his violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, anger that we may not perish." When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that you would give us eyes to see and you would give us ears to hear. 
Father, that we would see Christ and Him exalted in this text and we would see the grace of God given to us ultimately through Your Son, Jesus, and that He would make a way for us because He is the way, the truth, and the life. By Your Spirit, that You would help us to hear Your Word and to receive it in our hearts and to obey it in all of our lives, God, that we would not allow something of distance and something of watching through a virtual screen to allow us to become distracted and miss what you are saying to your people this morning. So, Father, we ask it in your Son's name. Amen. I want to point you to a few things this morning. Number one is this. Point number one is that we serve a God who is a God of second chances. I'm sure that we've heard the phrase, hindsight is twenty twenty. And what we mean by that is simply this, is that after we've experienced something, if we could go back, we would have done some things differently. Maybe you said in your own heart, I wish I'd never fill in the blank. I wish I'd never sent that text. I wish I never sent that email. I wish I could have that back. I wish I could invest it in something differently. I wish I would have never fill in the blank. It's the notion that if we had it to do over again, we would do some things differently. We all would love the, the, the concept of having a second chance. More often than not, we find ourselves longing for those things more often than we actually experience them. I'll tell you, one of my favorite things when I was growing up, when I was playing uh, Nintendo or playing games on... Uh, on, on, on whatever it was, I love this particular button that if anything went like I didn't like it, I could always go and I could press this reset button and it would start all over again and I would have a fresh start and a new opportunity to get things right this time. You know, Mario only had three lives and I had to do it over and over and over again before I could beat the level. I needed second chances and third chances and I needed another opportunity to get it right. And yet Jonah doesn't just have a concept of a second chance. He literally receives a second chance. He was to go to Nineveh. He went to Tarshish instead. God could have wrote him off. God could have found another prophet. He could have chosen someone else to go for him. But God still sought after Jonah. Look at Jonah chapter 3. Look at verses 1 and 2. This parallels the beginning of the book of Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now consider yourself in Jonah's shoes. His disobedience really didn't work out too well. But here, Jonah seems to have been changed. At least that's what we can tell right here. He seems to have been changed by what has happened in the past. And what I've mentioned before, and I'll mention again, the book of Jonah is like a mirror that you look into, and the author is writing it in such a way that you would see the actions of the characters that are in this text, and that you would look at yourself in the mirror of that and say, well, I'll be like those people. And what seems to be Jonah's repentance, it seems that way, I want you to ask yourself, would I be like Jonah? We see his repentance, what seems like it again in chapter 2, inside the belly of a fish. He's spit out, he's received a second chance, and hopefully he's learned some valuable lessons. And hopefully these things will resonate with you this morning. We've all been given second chances by the Lord. His grace and his abundance of grace gives us second and third chances Here's a principle that I want you to write down if you have something that you're writing with, and we'll hit it this morning. But doing life God's way 
is always best. It's the notion that you're not God and he is and that he knows better. We said just a couple of weeks ago that he gives us his commands not as a burden for us, but as a help for us. And doing life God's way is always best. And when Jonah figured that out, when Jonah reoriented his life, he saw God do some amazing things. And in the moment of his second chance, he learned this principle that it's always best to do things God's way way. Again, he is repenting of what he does, so it seems. But what you see, the book of Jonah, the idea of repentance isn't just found in chapter number two. Really, the whole book of Jonah is about repentance. And what I want to propose to you this morning is that you see, perhaps, a false picture of repentance and a genuine picture of repentance. And it could be that Jonah is, in fact, the false picture of what repentance should actually look like. Just bear with me. I'm going to unpack that a little bit more this morning. But the essence of repentance, what does it mean? We talk about repentance, and I'm concerned that we've reduced repentance to merely apologizing. We we say something like, well, I'll never do that again. But practically with our own heart, we think, well, at least for a couple of weeks, and then I'll get back into it. And I'll come back again and say, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. We run back to those same things and we merely apologize, but we don't truly repent. Repentance is something much more than an apology. It cuts deeper into us. It cuts deeper into our hearts. This is what we said recently, that repentance is waging war against your own flesh. The word repentance literally means to change one mind. I used to think one way, but now I see things a different way. My heart was once bent towards these things. Now it's been changed. I've been transformed. And now I think differently about that. And sometimes, beloved, our apologies may or may not come with fruit or action that produces from that. But repentance always results in a change of direction. I once was going this way, but now I am going this way. And that seems to be the case for Jonah. He's a good example of repentance in chapter number two and in chapter number three, but he begins to shift and becomes a really, a, maybe a bad example of repentance in chapter four. When he's angry at God, he's bitter because God is showing grace to his enemy. And something strange, these pagans, continually, they have a posture ongoing of soft hearts towards God. But Jonah very quickly becomes bitter again in chapter number four. But at least for now, Jonah is given a second chance. He's thinking differently about how he should respond. And there's a couple of things when we realize that doing life God's way is always best that I think we should wrestle with this morning and we can learn from and I think Jonah would learn from but he would ultimately wrestle with as the future would continue for him but let's learn a couple of things this morning the first thing that I see within this text that doing life God's way is always best but secondly is that Jonah learned what mattered to God the city of Nineveh is called great twice it's really three times, but it's, it's chapter number one, verse two, and in chapter three, verse two. And in both instances, both times, the, the Hebrew word that's used there is the word gadoil. 
And it literally means to indicate the significance or the size of something. And quite honestly, there's some mystery about the city of, uh, of, of Jonah, the city of Nineveh at the time of Jonah. Was the population uh, 120,000? Was 150,000? Was it truly a great city at that time? Or would it become a great city? Was it the capital? But still, it was a relatively large city within this text. The spanning, uh, its area was about 50 miles it would take uh, days, three days journey to get to one side to the next. 120, 150,000 people that were there. This city was nonetheless considered a great city. And it's mentioned in verse, chapter number 1, verse 2, and chapter number 3, verse 2, as it is, uh, it is Gadoil. It is a great city. It has great size or it has great significance. But the language changes the third time that this city is mentioned in chapter number 3, verse 3. Look at the text. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breath. Yes, discussing its size, it would have taken someone three days to travel across this land. But the verbiage changes there, and I think you caught it in the text, but it says it was mentioned to be an exceedingly great city. Literally, in the Hebrew, it would be Irgadol Elohim. And some of you may even have a, a subscription in your Bible indicating the literal verbiage in this text, the phrase that's used, it is a city, a great city to God. Yes, it was God-sized. Yes, in the context of Jonah. But don't miss it. There was something greater that was there. It was God-sized. There was people far from God there and Nineveh had God's attention. It was an exceedingly great city to God. And God sent his prophet to a pagan people. And regardless of the physical size or the population, something else mattered than its size or its significance. The people there mattered. Nineveh mattered to God. Maybe Jonah wanted a larger platform. Maybe he wanted more influence. I don't think that was it. But I know that sometimes in our flesh we begin to look at things through size and influence. But ultimately it was not what mattered. Something else mattered. Something is off in Jonah's heart. What matters to God is that Nineveh and these people mattered to God. He saw value in them. Even in their disobedience, God cared for them. God has a heart for sinners and the saint. He has a heart for the pagan and the prophet. He has a heart for Israel, but he also has a heart for Nineveh. It was an exceedingly great city. It was, an ex it was a city that mattered to God. Here's what I do know. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because it wasn't what he wanted. Don't miss this. This city mattered to God, but it didn't matter to Jonah. Jonah was called there, but he would rather go and do something differently. And beloved, the same is true in your life. All of your life, you will wrestle with that. Of what do you want and what is God calling you to and what is God desiring you to submit to and be obedient in following him? 
And the goal of your life, beloved, is that you would surrender your own flesh and your desires and have a posture to say, I want to do whatever the Lord is calling me to do. Even if it's awkward, even if it's counter to to your flesh, that you would seek to be obedient to the Lord and obedient to His Son, Jesus Christ. Ministry so often happens in places that are counter to our human desires. And we can try to run away from those things or we can align our hearts to say we don't want to miss how God is at work. You think about the prophets in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, who was sent to to preach to a people that would not listen to him, constantly struggled with his self-esteem and his ministry. He's called the weeping prophet. He wasn't accepted by them, as were any of the prophets. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 6. You see this very clear in the call of Isaiah. You know this very well, but Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 8 through 11, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to the people. So Isaiah is receiving his commission from the Lord. Go and say to these people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of the people dull, And their ears heavy, blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. In other words, Isaiah, I'm wanting you to go to a people that won't listen to a word that you say. I'm wanting you to go and I want you to preach repentance to them, but they're going to look at you like you are absolutely foolish. Who in the world would sign up for that? Who in the world in their own flesh would sign up to sit to a people that would not listen to them? And Isaiah responds very fittingly in verse 11. Then I said, how long, O Lord? How long am I going to preach and no one respond? How long am I going to say to these people and they don't want to listen to a word that I say, yet you're calling me to do this? And I'm surrendering and committing to do it, but how long will this take place? And he said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitants and the houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. I tell you, if you judged Isaiah's success on worldly standards, he would be an utter failure. But beloved, I want to point you to a truth that success in ministry and success in your life is not always measured by tangible results but spiritual implications. Not on how people will respond, but your obedience to the calling that God has given to you. We've created a, a world and a, and a world within, within Christianity that we measure success in what I would call the ABCs of church. We base our success and failures on the attendance that's here, the budgets that we have, and the size of our church building. It can give us a a sense of false success and false security. God is aiming for something more from us. He's aiming for our obedience. He's aiming for our fellowship. He's aiming for us to walk counter to our flesh and walk in accordance to his spirit. Not only do you see this in the life of the prophets, you also see it throughout all of missionary history as well. I'll give you a couple of examples and we'll move on. William Carey. 
led the way for the modern missions movement in the 1800s, was a missionary to India and was convicted of God's love for the heathen. Don't miss this. He spent seven years in India before he ever saw a single convert. Seven years. Coined with the phrase of saying, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God He didn't go for notoriety. He went because he was called and he was devoted to that call. Ananiram Jetson, the father of the modern American missions movement, he spent five years in Burma before a single convert. The last one you'll know very well, Lottie Moon. She spent 20 years in China. 20 hard years of serving the people of China, 20 years before she saw one person make a profession of faith. And even then, there were very few under her ministry. And here's what Lottie Moon said. Lottie Moon said this. She said, if I had a thousand lives to live, I'd give them all to China. If I had a thousand lives to live, I'd give them all to China. And what a contrast to Jonah. Jonah says, I've got this one life and God's called me to do something and I'm not going to do it because it's not what I want. Lottie Moon says, if I, had a, if I had a thousand lives all over again, I would do it over again in a heartbeat because God has called me to these people and it's not about my earthly success. It's not about my pleasure. It's not about any carnal reasons, but it's about submitting and following Christ. It's not about my success. It's not about the platform. And all too often, we begin to judge our ministry, our success, and what we do of whether or not it makes us happy. But your happiness is not the benchmark of success in God's eyes. It is following him. It is submitting to the Lord. For Jonah, he wanted to do what he wanted to do. And Nineveh wasn't on his priority list. But it was on God's priority list. And at the end of your life, I hope that you will look back and say, I sought to follow Jesus in every step. And I sought to forsake my flesh and put away the things that I wanted, and to pursue the things that God wanted instead. Here's the question. What is the Lord calling you to? Even though it may be hard, even though it may be counter to your flesh, what is He calling you to right now? It may not come with popularity or flash, but it's nonetheless what God is calling you to. Here's a principle. I ask you to write it down. God using you powerfully doesn't always mean God using you publicly. And you could, the reverse is true as well. God using you publicly doesn't necessarily mean that God is using you powerfully. God using you powerfully doesn't always mean that that will mean that God will use you publicly. But it always begins with our aligning of our priorities with God's priorities. What is it that you're pursuing? What is it that you're aiming for? You see the example throughout the scripture and throughout missionary history that people pursued the things of God not because it would bring them success in man's eyes, but because they were called to it. I want to press on this a little bit further. What has God called us to? As a church, as as believers in Christ, he has called us very succinctly and very clearly to make disciples. 
It's not flashy. It's not necessarily popular. It's not going to come with a lot of fame or popularity. But that is what we are called to do. Yet how many of us could say that we make a priority within our lives of making disciples? That our time, that our schedule, that our resources holistically point to discipleship. And my prayer for a long time is that there would come a day that within the church we would change our focus from large crowds and bigger budgets and and bigger church buildings and begin to place an emphasis on the names of people, the names of individuals that we have discipled in the power of the Lord. What are you doing right now, beloved, that truly matters to God? You may fill your time and schedule with a lot of things. And they may bring you advancement. They may take you to the next level. And they may and they may not be anything that truly matters to God or has any eternal significance. What are the things or who are the people around you that truly matter to God? Maybe it's the coworker. Maybe it's someone that lives down the street from you. Maybe it's investing in a local church and investing into this city to say that we want to love Fayetteville well. We want to love South Lincoln well because God has sent us here to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we'll be tempted to say, well, I don't have time for that or I can't do that or it'll be hard or they're not like me. They do things that God doesn't approve of. And if we're not careful, we'll have the same heart that Jonah had. But Jonah's heart wasn't God's heart, was it? God had a heart for those people. So much so that he would send his prophet to a pagan land. And he's sending this prophet. And Jonah is to be a picture of who Israel is supposed to be. Israel was called to be a blessing and a light to the nations. They're to be a picture of God's heart for all people. And then this prophet is is showing them their own disobedience. But the very thing that God has called them to do, they're not doing it. And there's their prophet who's proof. Jonah is a representation of the people of God being disobedient to what he has called them to. And he's saying to Israel, he's saying, you may have turned inward, Israel. You may have turned inward and only focusing on yourself. But God is focused on those who are outside of the covenant with him and he's bringing them in. He is concerned about those outside of you and his mission is going forward to a pagan people, to the Ninevites. And then within the local church, how, how in the world will people outside the walls of this church discover the love of God and the hope of Christ unless the people of God display the love of God and proclaim the gospel to them? How will they know unless we preach the gospel? One of my greatest burdens for the church today is I'm concerned that we're too busy making excuses instead of making disciples. I'm concerned that we're too busy arguing amongst ourselves rather than laboring in the Lord's work. And I'm concerned that we're too busy debating theology and doctrine than praying and pursuing the lost. And my encouragement for you this morning is that we would stop focusing in on ourselves and what we want and what our wishes and what our desire is and to say, no, God, what have you called us to and what are you leading us to do? Who are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? Is that God's heart? 
Who are the people around you that matter to God? Who are you investing in? Who are you discipling? And as we close, point number three, Jonah learned or we learned that God works beyond our ability. I want you to notice within this text, the odds are not in Jonah's favor. He had a task to go to a pagan land, a land content living in wickedness against the Lord. The person that he sent was a disobedient prophet. The task was too much. The person really wasn't the best person to send. And the scope of Jonah's call was to go a three days journey into the city. But watch this. Even though the scope was too big for Jonah, Jonah probably wasn't the best person to go and the task was too difficult for him. Jonah only makes it one day. Watch this. Jonah, look at verses three and four. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. One commentator said it this way. He says, it's as though the prophet is so tired and so weary of carrying the task that he has been called to. This tiny figure of hope, Jonah can go no further. He drops to his knees and he cries out against the city, even though he's far from his destination. And through these difficult circumstances that didn't seem to fit in place with how we would want him. It was less than fortunate. All the misfortune that had taken place, the messenger was less than perfect. Jonah probably didn't even want to be there. He was probably even lazy. He had a more than daunting task. And you see in Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, of these people repenting. They're putting on sackcloth and ashes. They're crying out to God in repentance. Sackcloth and ashes is a, is a picture of mourning and being broken over their sin. God brought about transformation and God, or excuse me, Jonah saw God move in a powerful way in spite of him. Here's what it teaches us is that God does his best work because, not because of our ability, but because of his ability. And God does his best work not in our strength, but in our weakness, beloved. I'll say that again. God does his best work, not because of our ability, but because of his ability. And it's not because of our strength, but rather through our weakness. This is what the Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I'm the very least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, I'm the very least of the saints. And he comes to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and he says, I will boast all the more in my weakness because God is powerfully at work in me. God does his best work, church, not when we're strong and mighty, but when we're weak and dependent. Not when we're perfect, but when we submit to him in obedience. Jonah wasn't perfect and it wasn't out of his might, but in his weakness that God worked and God used him. Church, you're, you're not the cause. You're the vessel that God is looking to use. You're not the solution, but God has invited you to be a part of his work. And you'll be tempted to say, there's no way I could do that. There's no way. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the degree. I don't have what it needs. And God's just going to skip over me because I'm not qualified. He didn't skip over this disobedient prophet. He didn't skip over me either. 
Instead, he used Jonah in an incredible way. And I could tell you hundreds of stories of how God has worked through weak men, weak women to do, accomplish great and mighty things. And he's not going to skip over you either. If we surrender and submit and humble ourselves before him and say, God, use me. I want to be obedient. I want to follow you. What are you feeling qualified to do this morning? And how are you depending on God's strength to lead you into that? There's another point in this text, and I'll spare you the long version, but it's that Jonah, even in his second chance, may have been going through the motions more than he was being genuine. The writer has really set you up to this point. What we see now that Jonah has changed his mind, his heart maybe hasn't been changed. It maybe seems clear in this text, and you probably heard it preached your whole life, just some things to consider. I want you to compare the description of Jonah's repentance in chapter number two to the Ninevites in chapter number three and their brokenness over their sin compared to Jonah in chapter two that's really just kind of has the posture of, man, I wish I could get out of this fish belly. And then you see his heart again in chapter four. He's bitter, he's angry. Because God is showing grace to outsiders. Jonah's a bad example. He's a bad example of what it means to be called of the Lord. And you see what looked like repentance may have not been true, genuine repentance. But I don't want you to miss the gospel within this text. We see the gospel of Jesus Christ, namely that we have been given second chances. And oh, how many second chances that God has given us through Christ. That there is good news this morning, even if you have blown it, His grace is still pursuing you. We see the heart of God in that sinners matter greatly to God. Sinners matter to God. So much so that Christ would suffer and die that the offense that you stood before God and you should have been condemned for, Christ put it on himself and went to the cross and bore your sin. Sinners matter to God. They matter to God. And you also see that God does his best work through weakness, through the sending of his son, born in human flesh, (laughs) taking on the form of a servant, humbling himself, being put even unto death. All things that are pointing to weakness, not might. Christ was veiled in flesh. He served. He didn't didn't seek to be served. He came to serve us. He didn't seek to establish a dominion here on earth, at least not now. Instead, he humbled himself. He took the form of a servant and was even put to death. Christ is showing us that God does his best work through weakness. And through the resurrection, God would glorify him through the person of Christ. And what looked like defeat would turn to victory. What looked like weakness was really might and strength. And he is Lord of all now. Do you see the gospel that's here? That we're given second chances that through Christ we see that sinners matter to the Lord. And we see the weakness of Christ and the suffering Lamb of God being torn apart 
for your sin and mine and the power of God resurrecting him from the dead. And the writer is showing us a picture this morning, I believe, of true repentance and false repentance. The pagan truly repents. The prophet mainly going through the motions. And we'll talk about that more next week. But for now, I would encourage you to reflect through the mirror of the book of Jonah. Ask yourself the tough questions that we've talked about this morning. And let's respond together with humble hearts aligned to follow the Lord. Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. Once again, I'd like to say a word of thank you to Nathan Posey for providing the intro and outro music featured on the podcast today. And if you would like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website, prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. And if you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. Please note that our in-person services will resume on November the 29th of 2020. If you're not comfortable joining us at that time, we understand and please know that we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons Podcast.